in this series out of Joseph's life. God meant it for good. And we're, we're going to build off of the thought from a couple of weeks ago, and it's, I believe it's appropriate for today um, as we think about the celebration of our nation, as, but then as we think about some other things as well as believers. And so in Genesis uh, chapter 47, before we get to that, uh, I do want to encourage you, if you're able uh, to be a part of the day today out at the Tinsley's, then please be a part of that. And uh, understand different things come up and then still with the concerns about health and everyone has to make those decisions. And so we understand that and respect that. But if you're able to be there, uh, then it'll be a good time. And it's good. It is good for God's people to be together. And look, it's good to be together like this. We need this. But we also need to sit in lawn chairs together, too. That is, okay, okay, you know what I'm talking about. It's good for God's people to be together. And so, please, if you're able to uh, be a part of that, a lot of work and a lot of preparation has gone into that. And, uh, man, I really wanted the water thing to happen, but it's better that the water thing's not happening for a number of reasons, mainly because we don't want, like, 70 people to get pneumonia after today. And so that wouldn't be good. And then, uh, speaking of the weather, I am thankful that the adults here are having to deal with what the kids had to deal with when we went to, we go to youth camp, and there's snow on the ground, summer youth camp, and our boys are having a snowball fight, and so, hey, 60 ain't too bad if that's what you're, uh, if that's what you're considering, and then we are, we are so thankful to be home and appreciate very much you praying for us. I, I'd love to get into the details of how, that, how all of that went, and I will at a later service. But I do want to say I'm grateful for your prayer and the freedom to be able to invest in other people like that. You know, we have men that come and invest, men and women that come and invest in us. And it's good when the Lord gives those if we'll all be a part of that process. And you certainly were by praying and by encouraging. And, and it really seemed like God did some amazing stuff, and I'm excited to share that with you. But I'm also thankful for how well things went while we were gone. And uh, Brother Z preaching on Sunday morning did a great job. Brother Herring on Sunday night was a real blessing. And then Brother Feavite, in spite of all his sweating and nervousness, did a great, did a great job. And uh, I am thankful for that and sure do appreciate uh, your faithfulness and all the labor that went into that. And then uh, I need to mention this, and I'm saying a lot because we won't be here tonight. We'll be out um, at the picnic. Uh, but with the continuing fluctuations, and uh, I know that there's spiking in different areas with the COVID stuff going on, I want, I want to remind you, especially everyone that's watching live stream, and then for those that are here, um, uh, we, we believe, and this, isn't, this has not changed and isn't changing, we believe that we need to give people an opportunity to assemble. That, that's biblical, and, and, we're not, and we are thankful that we're doing that. But I also understand that there's, especially for certain people with different health issues and then um, other concerns, that you may not yet be comfortable, and you have my support as you work through that process. And, and just make sure that you are working through that process, but we understand everybody has to navigate this, and we all give an account of ourselves to the Lord. And so um, as we talk about being here and then being on live stream, I want to make sure everyone at home understands that you're not getting any flack or any pressure at all, and I'm so grateful for you being a part of the services here, and then for everyone that is here, it is so good to get to be here. Okay, seven of you agreed with me. I'll say it one more time. It is so good to get to be here with you. Amen. All right, Genesis 47. If you remember chapter 46, we dealt with God called them into the land of Egypt as shepherds, and so there was some concern about how that would work. And we dealt with this idea that you are among them, but you're not of them. And then on Sunday night two weeks ago, we dealt with this, and, we, and we, the main application was about families helping the young people that had gone to camp. But we talked about from verse 11 and 12 this idea of prospering them or positioning them to prosper. And uh, we'll read that again, but to, the, this morning... I want to build on that, and you'll see that as we get into the text. But look at verse number 11 of Genesis 47. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, 
in the land of Ramses as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. Now, if you would, we'll deal with verse 13 through verse 26, the Lord willing, next Sunday. But look at verse number 27. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt and the country of Goshen. And they, referring to Jacob, his sons, and their families, they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. So two Sunday nights ago it was this. The thought was this. Position to prosper. This morning I want to deal with this thought. Prosper from the position that you have been blessed with. And we'll explain what we mean by that as we get into it. Father, thank you very much for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your people. And thank you for everyone that's a part of this service here and on the live stream. And I pray for your blessing as we open the word of God that you would help the communication help the understanding, and help the response to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. At this time, we'll enjoy a special from Brother Nate. Great is the Lord, He is holy and just. By His power we trust in His love. Great is the Lord, He is faithful and true, by His mercy He proves He is love. Great is the Lord, and worthy of glory, great is the Lord, and worthy of praise. Great is the Lord, now lift up your voice, now lift up your voice, Lord, unto 
Great is the Lord and worthy of glory. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. Great is the Lord. Now lift up your voice. Now lift up your voice. And he is worthy of glory and honor. And then I, I love the medley of that song and sing, Blessed Assurance. That great Lord is mine. <laughs> Be happy about it, amen. At least smile about it. You don't have to say amen every time, but at least smile. He's mine. And then his faithfulness is great. And so we sing, Great is the Lord. Thank you, Brother Nate. That was, that was a blessing. Well, if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago um, in dealing with verse 11 and 12, it's, we talked about the planter boxes and how my mom being a gardener, as many of you are gardeners, and then how planter boxes work very well up here. She, uh, while she was here uh, hanging out with us for a few weeks, uh, she and my dad built some planter boxes. And, and then the effort was underway to position them in the backyard in the place that would be most suitable for growth. We wanted to position them to prosper. And so you have to find the place in the backyard where they can get the, the, the right amount of sunlight and the right amount of water. And the, water. and the idea is that we want them to be in a position. We want the plants to be in a position so that they can grow and so that they can eventually produce. That's the point of having a garden. <laughs> You want, if you're going to have a garden, you want to have one that produces food that you can eat or that you can give to somebody else so that they can eat. You want it, you want it to prosper. And so you have these planter boxes and then you put the soil in, you put the seed in, you put all of that work in, then you need to position it to prosper. So you make sure it has sunlight and then you make sure it has water. You position it to prosper. In verse number 11 and 12, Joseph put his family in the best possible position to thrive. To thrive as the people of God's covenant because that's who they were. Remember, God had made a promise to Abraham and that promise continued to Isaac and then to Jacob and to his sons. And so it's not just physical needs that they have in mind, but is the continuation of God's covenant with his people, which matters to us because the purpose of that covenant ultimately is the redemption of all mankind through Jesus Christ. That's why God, when he was making the covenant with Abraham, said that in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The point was to bring salvation. And so Joseph, maybe not understanding the full extent of all of that, but certainly being aware that this is more than just sustaining physical life, that there is a purpose. Just as God had a purpose in using the betrayal to send me before them, God has a purpose in saving them in, their pres in the preservation of their lives. And so I want to put them in the position that will be the most conducive to them having success while, they were, while they're here. I want them to be in the best possible position to grow, to raise their children. I want them to be in the best possible position in a time of famine, to have food for their flocks. And then after the famine is gone, to be able to multiply and increase. I want them to be in the best possible position to succeed. And so Joseph had done much in order to procure that position for them. Okay, this is really important, this, this idea, get this. Joseph had done much to procure that position for them. What are you talking about? You ready? Betrayed. Slave. Lied about. Prison forgotten about in prison, and then choosing to forgive and show grace over bitterness 
choosing to use his position of authority and power instead of using it to get even or to get vengeance, choosing to understand that God took all of the bad that they had done to him and God was now putting him in a position to do good to them and for them and choosing to have a higher view, choosing to have a God-like, a Christ-like view, and then choosing in chapter 4, in the beginning of chapter 47, choosing to intercede to Pharaoh on their behalf. Look at verse number one. Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh, and he presents them. No, Pharaoh was kind to them. Please look up here. Pharaoh was kind to them and was generous to them, but that was in no small part because of the life of Joseph, the conduct of Joseph, and the intercession of Joseph on their behalf. So their positioning was a result of the effort and labor that Joseph had put into helping to position them there. Please get this. They weren't in that position because of them. They they weren't in the position of uh, verse 11 and verse 12, the best land, the, the best part of the land, a place where they could be protected, a place where their flocks could grow and their families could grow. They weren't in that position because of them. They were in that position because of the effort of someone who had gone before them. Joseph put them in the best possible position to thrive, to prosper as shepherds. Here's the danger, that they waste the opportunity. Well, we're here. I guess we just ought to take it easy and enjoy life and just kind of coast on. That they don't consider the sacrifice of those before them, that they don't consider the, the possibility of preparing the way for generations that are to come, that they take the location that's ideal, they take the resources that were very generous, and that they are lazy, or they are selfish, or, and they don't put in the effort and the work to make sure that they multiply. So they were positioned in verse 11 and 12, but they had to put forth the effort. Now, the text doesn't say a lot, but it does say enough for us to know what happened here. You look at verse number 27. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Now, there's a couple of things to keep in mind in addition to this. Number one... If you go back to verse number 3 of chapter 46, when Jacob was making his journey, God reminded him, listen, I'm with you in verse 3. I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. God is reminding him of the the promise of Abraham, the promise to Isaac, and now the promise to him. I'm going to multiply you. I am going to bless you. You also have natural laws. While they weren't stated here, it's understood. It's understood from the beginning of creation that you have the law of sowing and reaping, that you get what you invest, and what you invest will affect what you are able to produce and what you are able to receive. And while it's not stated, we also have this this idea that God offers you his blessing. You have these natural laws of like sowing and reaping, and so it requires that you put forth some effort. There's an effort to contribute to the work. It's not like it's just going to magically appear. It's not like it's just going to happen. You have to be willing to do something in order to make something of what you have been given. For example, you send your young person to school and they have the opportunity to have a very high level of ed- education. And, and we get so used to high levels of stuff in this country. And, and we lose perspective on how little opportunity so many other people have. And so you send your children to a place to where they can be educated. And that's all well and good. But they have to be willing to put forth the effort if they're going to benefit from that blessing. They have to be willing to study. They have to be willing to apply themselves. They have to be willing to take it seriously. So you understand, giving someone the opportunity isn't the same as them making something of the opportunity. So they made something of the opportunity. How do you know? Because they grew. And then this word, multiplied. 
The word multiply is an action verb. It, it refers to the act of increasing. So think about this in the context of them being shepherds. So you have the natural process of multiplication of sheep, of herds, like you do with any other living thing. But sheep have to be protected. Sheep have to be led to good grazing ground. Sick sheep have to be treated. And the flocks have to be maintained. There is an effort to multiply them that requires serious and intensive and sometimes very arduous labor. What do we know about sheep from the word of God? That they have a tendency to what? Go astray. No, taking care of any livestock is not a low maintenance endeavor. You take care of sheep, you take care of goats, you take care of horses, you take care of cattle, you take care of a dog. Yeah, the valleys have got that. <laughs> no, any, any kind of livestock, any kind of animal life, not just, just preserving that life. But they weren't interested in just preserving the life of what they had. It was imperative that the life of the, of the sheep that they had, that for the sake of their nation and their people, that the livestock multiplied, that it increased. And so, yes, there was the promise of God's blessing, and that was evident. And yes, there's the natural laws that dictate how these things work. But there is also a necessary effort to take the opportunity that we have been given and to invest our labor in protecting them, leading them to good grazing ground, keeping them from wandering off and dying, treating them when they're sick. You say, what are you talking about? We're just trying to understand from the text that they were positioned to prosper, but they had to put forth an effort in order to prosper. Or all of that positioning, all of that opportunity would have been wasted. Now, please get this. There's two problems if their opportunity was wasted. Number one, it was extremely disrespectful to the sacrifice of Joseph. No, these brothers, you talk about humility. These brothers are in a position to prosper after they betrayed their brother. Now they are in a position to prosper as a result of their brother's grace and love. I understand God was working in Joseph's heart, but Joseph still had to choose to submit to that work. It would have been extremely disrespectful to the labor of the one who had gone before them. Number two, it would have been extremely inconsiderate of the ones who were going to come after them. Again, in Genesis 50, in Genesis 46, you see different references to the fact that God has a bigger purpose that he is trying to accomplish. It's not just about the suffering of Joseph and how unfair it was. It's about how God can use all of that to fit it into the work of accomplishing his purpose in the life of this, of this family, which would eventually become a great nation, out of which Jesus Christ would come and offer salvation to the entire world. And, and so Joseph has it in his mind in chapter 50. Hey, one day when I die, I, we're going to be leaving this land because this isn't God's ultimate purpose for us. And for Joseph's brothers to squander the opportunity that had been given them, not only would it have been disrespectful to the one who had gone before them, it would be so inconsiderate of the ones whose names they did not yet know, but would certainly come after them. And you have, they, they should have been asking themselves this question in one way or another. We have been given much grace. Well, we leave those that come after us in a better position than we have found ourselves in because we have found ourselves in a really good position. Statement for them would be this. Because Joseph gave them much, they should be willing to do much. Let's talk about the freedom that you have been given in this country. Oh, it's, it's right. And it's necessary to remind each one of us here and anyone else that might be listening that this is not a perfect nation. Okay, oh, come on. That's right. It's not a perfect nation. Was not a perfect nation is not a perfect nation, will not ever be a perfect nation. But the freedoms that have been provided for us in this nation are greater than at any other time in history. 
I believe that. No, I believe there have been some great times in history, but what we are experiencing in this country throughout the history of this nation, as it's progressed and improved and gotten better, man, it's mind-boggling the opportunity that we have. And I can, I can tell just that there's this natural like, yeah, it's really good. We don't, we don't realize how good we've got it because it's so hard for us to live out of, outside of what we get to enjoy. But you go to some of the places where our missionaries labor. You go to some of these third world countries where different charitable efforts are going on. And basic things we take for granted, we don't even have to think about here in this country. You don't have to worry, or you haven't had to worry about them for your family, your family before you, for your family after you. We enjoy significant blessing in this country. We have. Now look, there's been warts, there are, there's challenges, but every person living in this country today has the opportunity to make something of their life. Now how is that possible? Borrowing from the text, you've been positioned to prosper. If you live in this nation, if you are blessed to live in the United States of America and call this place your home, You have been positioned to prosper. Are you saying that no one else anywhere else can prosper? No, that's not what I'm saying. But it's right to acknowledge what we have here. You have been positioned to prosper. And by the way, acknowledging the blessing that we get to enjoy isn't a statement that we are better than anybody else. That, that, that somehow the citizens of this country are more valuable than anybody else. That contradicts the clear teaching of the word of God. But it's also right to acknowledge in this country, under that flag, we have been given much. So I want to ask you the question, how? How, how did that happen? No, this is what some people think. You won't state this, and many people won't even articulate an answer because we never take the time to actually think about why we get to enjoy certain things. We just live selfish lives without one moment of introspection. But why do you get to enjoy this? It's more than one answer. There's more than one thing. I'll reference a few. There's more than one thing, and for each individual family, there will be some differences. But in part, you're able to enjoy what you get to enjoy in this country because of the sacrifice of those in the military. True statement. Well, our military, okay, yeah, go ahead. Find the warts in the military because there's always going to be warts and there's always going to be imperfection. Just like there is imperfection in your life as well. And I'm amazed at, at how we hold other people and things to a different standard sometimes than we do our own selves. And there are many, many in our military who have sacrificed much and we have benefited from that. Like, you need the statistics. No, it's good. It's good to hear some statistics. Again, I'm not advocating for the perfection of any military institution. I'm not advocating for the particular individuals in during this time period. I'm not even certain statistics I'm going to give you. I understand there's differing views about those, uh, about those wartime efforts. I'm just making the point that a whole lot of people made sacrifices who weren't the ones making the decisions, and we should understand how that had a positive effect on our nation. Revolutionary War, approximately 50,000 casualties. The War of 1812, approximately 20,000 casualties. The Civil War, just the Union side was over 600. You take the Union and the Confederate side and it was over a million casualties. World War I, 320,518 casualties. World War II, 1,076,245 casualties. Korean War, 128,650 casualties. Vietnam War, 211,454 casualties. The Gulf War, uh, 1,143. The, Af- the war in Afghanistan, 22,266 at the time of these statistics. The Iraq War, 36,710. That's a whole lot of blood that's been shed. It's a whole lot of wounded people. 
That's a whole lot of permanently altered lives. There's this nonsense that has been permeating multiple generations for some time that we just have this because we have it. And there's no consideration for how we have it. You know, you know how we have it? You know why we have it? Because people were willing to die for it. People were willing to lose their limbs over it. People were willing to lose their sons and lose their husbands. People were willing to lose their brothers. People were willing to give their life for it. That's not all the wars. It's not all the military actions that have been, we've been involved in. And that's not even all the sacrifices. Because the military is not the only one that's made sacrifices. Other citizens have made sacrifices who never wore a uniform and who never got some kind of military ceremony, but they made sacrifices and uh, they put their lives on the line and they ran underground railroads and they helped out and they did what they could in order to help make people free. Your parents made sacrifices. I can't help, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. I can't help but think about the sacrifice of Brother Jack and Miss Peggy just as Americans and what their son and his family and their children get to enjoy because of the sacrifice of parents. And I know Brother Robert agrees with that and that's why I have the freedom to mention that. Much has been done to give us this position of freedom in America. Here's the danger. We waste it. I want to stay with me. I know what time it is. We're good. It's going to be okay. Come on, make sure that you're mentally engaged, please. I want to read something. You'll immediately begin to recognize it. I just want to read the whole thing and then make some comments. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We come to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who died here that the nation might live. This we may in all propriety do, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have hallowed it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, while it can never forget what they did here. Then notice this, it is rather for us, the living, that we here be dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve these dead shall not have died in vain. That the nation shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Here's what he was concerned about. President Lincoln. Is that after all of the bloodshed, after all of the sacrifice, it would be wasted and progress would not be made. That's why he uses words like resolved that we be highly resolved, that we be consecrated and committed to this idea of building upon what we have received. Must use the sacrifice of the past. Listen, it's not the danger for the American nation at that time was similar to Joseph and his brothers. 
It's that you waste the sacrifice that's been made for you to be in this position. And then you're inconsiderate of those who are coming after you. Look, our nation isn't perfect. And there must be a constant effort to improve. And if that's going to happen, it's upon. It's, listen, it's not upon the government to do that. Come on, stay with me. It's not upon the government to do that. It's upon the individual to take responsibility for what they've been given and to say, I'm going to make something of my life and the opportunity I've been given. Now, this is what we can accurately say. This is, this is right. It, not every story is the same and not every person has the same opportunity and not every life experience is equal or fair treatment. We understand that and we have our own history with that, but every person has a responsibility before God to do something with the freedom that they have. And we have enjoyed generations generations now of freedom and opportunity where if you want it, it is available if you are willing to do something with it. But there has to be a willingness to work. Work at an education. Work at making an honest living. Doing good for your neighbor. You cannot legislate greatness in America. It's like philosophers from the past have said, America is great because America is good. And the point of that is this, that when individual people take responsibility to live their lives in a way that makes the most of the freedom and honors the ones who've come before them and prepare the way, prepares the way for those coming after them and, and keeps the, good, the, the goodness of God, allowing it to affect how they treat others, that is what makes this country great. There are far too many Americans who have said, who cares about anybody else? I'm going to take care of me with no regard for anyone or anything else. And generations who've been positioned in this country have done nothing to prosper for themselves, for the ones coming after them. But the freedom of America isn't the only freedom you've been given. We're not done yet, <laughs> just building. No, the freedom in America isn't the only freedom that you've been given. Mm, let me make this statement. We need to hear this. It's not the greatest freedom that you've been given. No, I'm thankful for America, but America is not what reconciles me to God. No, I'm thankful to live in this country. I praise God that I get to call this my home. I thank God for the privilege of saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I thank, uh, I thank God for a family, including my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, who have a history of military service and love for this nation. I thank God for all of these things. But a person's greatest need is not what nation they come from. It is to be reconciled to the Creator from whom they are separated because of sin. And the greatest freedom is not found in a flag. It's not found in a, in a national identity. It is only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the freedom, the eternal freedom of your faith. Salvation. Can you remember? You remember when you consciously made the decision that I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ and how from that moment you understand it. I am, I am a follower of him. I am his and he is mine. The moment you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, your eternity, your standing before God, everything about who you are, and where your life is headed changed. Man, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Man, we're talking about blank check forgiveness. And you know why it's a blank check forgiveness for you? Because it was cashed and deposited against the credit of the eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness available for any sinner and any sin. And that is the freedom that we have through Jesus Christ. Mm. 
since you're so excited, eternal security. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That phrase is not in the Bible. No, you're right. But eternal life is in the Bible. Everlasting life is in the Bible. The phrase that this, and they shall never perish is in the Bible. No, it's not like we, we just make up things here. We take the truth of the word of God. And sure, we use a phrase like eternal security. The, the idea of that is in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Oh, you don't get saved because of what you do. You don't maintain your salvation because of what you do. You don't keep your salvation in eternity because of what you do. It's all about him. Therefore, it's eternal. Mm. Think about the deliverance from the power of habit. Fun. This stuff that men can struggle with, things that women can struggle with. But as they grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, it's amazing how those bonds are broken, how they're set free. Like Lazarus was set forth from the tomb, they can be delivered from the bondage of their past. And people have been delivered from the bondage of vice, delivered from the bondage of drunkenness, delivered from the bondage of drugs, delivered from the bondage of an angry spirit, delivered from the bondage of a vengeful, bitter spirit, delivered from the bondage of lust and the plague of pornography. There are people all over that have experienced deliverance, and that's not because you're an American. It's because you're a child of God. You have the spirit of God living in you. You have the word of God to help you know the mind of God. As long as you live on this earth. All of that. (laughs) This is what we think. Man, I understand that I'm not as old as some and don't have the experience of some. But I've been in the church thing for a while. I've been trying to do this with my life for a while. And you can be around people who think that our position before God has something to do with us being American. No, it has something. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. That's who it has to do with. All of that that I just talked about has been given by the the effort and sacrifice of someone other than you. Jesus made it possible when he died. But his sacrifice didn't start when he died. His sacrifice started when he humbled himself and was willing to become a man. When he was willing to take upon himself the form of a servant And humbled himself to death. Humbled himself to the separation from God the Father. Humbled himself to the mocking, scorning rebuke of men that he was dying to save. You know what? (laughs) I'm just so happy. You know what Jesus did? He translated you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. By the way of his cross. Mm, Please get it. You know what he did? He repositioned you. So that you could prosper. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know what heaven's called? Being positioned to prosper. You know what eternal security is called? Being positioned to prosper. You know what forgiveness is called? Being positioned to prosper. You know what the help of the word of God and the help of the Holy Spirit when you're struggling is called? Being positioned to prosper. I've heard people make this statement before at the time of a great loss in their life. And usually when they're going through something like sickness or death, and they, they'll make this statement to me, Pastor, I don't know how people with God, without God, without knowing Jesus Christ, make it. And you know what that's a reminder of? That even in your darkest moments, you have been positioned to prosper. Hmm. But then I, I believe this would be right from the word of God. Others had to make a sacrifice so that I could have the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't the only one who died. No, he, his death is the only one that accomplished what it accomplished. But others had to die to keep that message going. Say, so what are you talking about? Stephen. Look, Stephen wasn't even a pastor. 
Stephen didn't have some kind of big title in the life. He was just a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and good works. And he believed in the gospel. He believed in the position that God had given him through faith in Jesus Christ. And he wanted all people of all nations to know it. And as the stones were raining down on him, he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. No, and it's that kind of sacrifice, it's that kind of commitment to the faith of Jesus Christ that has allowed it to prosper in every setting, in every nation, and in every generation where it has been present. You cannot stop the gospel. Because, and in part, there are people who are willing to sacrifice for it. I could talk about other people in the Bible, men and women, who gave so much so that the gospel would continue from one generation to the next. I got to talk about my parents. Stay with me, please. I got to talk about the man and the woman who gave their life to Jesus Christ and then said, you know, we were positioned in a different way, but we're going to position our parents so that they, our children, so that they can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, my parents didn't do that for me, but God sent someone into your life that one day knocked on your door or a coworker that gave you the gospel or a spouse that introduced you to the faith of Jesus Christ. God sent someone into your life to help position you so that you could grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the danger that you waste the freedom of your faith. After all that Jesus did and the investment that others have made to position you, that it all go to waste. Look, at, look with me at Philippians chapter 2. I just, just want to remind you of a couple of things. Philippians chapter 2 verse number 12. Philippians 2.12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have his help, but we have to be willing to put forth the effort not to earn salvation, but notice the phrase, to work out your own salvation, meaning this, the, the New Testament especially is full of this idea that the faith of Jesus Christ should affect the way you live your life. No, you don't get saved because you do good works. You don't keep your salvation because you do your good works. But Jesus did not die just to take us to heaven. He died to reconcile us to God. He died so that his life could be manifested through our life. And this, and this idea that, yeah, I got, my free I got my free ticket to heaven, that completely misses the point of salvation. It's not just about you having eternal life. It's about that eternal life being lived out in your current life now. That's why he says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. He talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind in verse number 2. And the point of it is this, God positions you, but you need to do something with the, with the blessings that he's given to you. Look, we're not talking about working for your salvation, but your salvation ought to produce work from you. Not talking about losing your salvation because you can't lose something that you didn't give yourself. You can't lose something you didn't give yourself. But your salvation ought to be affecting. The freedom in Christ ought to be affecting the way you live your life. There's some of you that have been saved for a long time. And you might be still living under the same habits that you struggled with before you got saved. There's some of you that you've been saved for long enough to know better, but your attitude in certain situations with certain people has not improved at all. There's some of you men that have been saved for a long time, and yet what you are as a husband today is no different than what you were as a husband before you got saved. Some of you ladies have been saved a long time, but what you are as a wife 
or as a mom is not showing, is showing little to no evidence of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you have been saved a long time and yet you've not made any effort to help another person know the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you that have been saved a long time and you don't know any more about the word of God today than you did 10 years ago when you got saved. You've been saved for a long time, but no one in your realm of influence is any better off as a child of God because of your relationship with them. You know, I believe this, and I'm, I'm, I just want, I don't want you to say amen to this. I believe it. I'm convicted of it. And at another time, another message, I'll get really passionate about it physically, but the passion burns in me. We've been given something great at this church. Oh, man, one, one church, six one way, half a dozen another. No, no. Not all churches get to enjoy the same thing. Now, I think about the sacrifice of someone willing to start it. I think the sacrifice of people. I think about the sacrifice of our former pastor, David Hetzer. Think about the privilege that I get to enjoy to be a part of this because of the investment of my pastor and then because of the willingness of a church to buy into us being here and becoming the pastor. I think about the opportunities that you get to enjoy if you're a part at any level because of the life of West Valley Baptist Church. It is a blessing to be here. There is a genuine spirit of love and grace that is in this church. There is a deeply held conviction that the Bible is the word of God and is the supreme authority for what we do. And there is a desire, however imperfect, there is a desire and an effort to live out the faith that we have been given. And there's so many other things that I could talk about. And I'm not saying we're the only one, but you are foolish to think that every other church is the same. That's like saying every other nation is the same. Because it's not. And what you get, what you have access to, and what you get to enjoy in the relationships and the opportunities, and what we potentially could be enjoying down the road. And I'm not, I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about a spirit and an opportunity to know God and to live out that faith. I'm talking about being surrounded by other men and women and children and families of like-minded believers who are trying to move in the same direction. And yet there is a danger that you waste it. You waste the freedom of your faith. You waste the opportunities that have been given through the sacrifice of those before you, chiefly Jesus Christ, but others who've bought in and made those same sacrifices. Here's the statement. Much has been given and much should be done. Look at Luke 12, 48, and then we'll finish. I'm not going to read the whole verse. Just start in the middle part. There's, there's a lot more to this talking about wise and foolish stewards. Look at the middle of the verse. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they shall ask the more. Can I say about Joseph and his brothers? Much was given to him, to them. And they had a responsibility to make much of it. Can I say to us as Americans, much has been given to us. No, you need to say amen to that. Much has been given to us as Americans. And I believe that nationally and as citizens of this nation, God will hold us accountable for what we've done with our nation and the opportunities afforded to us. And I don't say that with a gloating spirit. I say that with a trembling spirit. Because what kind of person would I be 
if I had been raised in some third world country somewhere else. And there are people in lesser nations that have done more than maybe even some of us in this room. Not just that. You have something greater than citizenship under that flag. You have citizenship under the banner of that, of the cross, not that cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And his blood has purchased for you an eternal freedom that secures your everlasting life. But unfortunately in this life, many of God's people squander it. We are inebriated with selfishness and wickedness. We allow sin to reign. We become, self, we become so self-absorbed like the, like the culture in which we find ourselves. And the faith of Jesus Christ has little to no effect upon us. Let me ask you something. What does your family look like because of your faith in 10 years? 10 years, five years, one year. What do your children look like when they're no longer under your authority? Because not just what you told them to do, but because of the influence of your faith. What does this church look like when you're no longer able to be here because you've gone on to heaven? We've been given much. We should be doing much. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for the effort to listen. Grateful for it. So thankful for you being a part of the service this morning. For those watching live stream as you bow there in your living room. For those here in the sanctuary with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. While Miss Rebecca softly plays. You have been given much as an American, but I'm not even asking about that. You ought to be grateful. Praise the Lord for it. You've been given so much more as a Christian. So I want to ask you this question with every head bowed and every eye closed. I know I have been given much through Jesus Christ, but there, there is an area or there are areas where I am not doing as much with my faith as I ought to be. It's not affecting me in these areas to the degree that it ought to be. My, my life is not an accurate representation of what I've been given. I wonder if there would be any child of God that would say, yeah, there's an area in my life where I know that my faith in Christ should be having more of an effect upon me than it is. And I want God to help me with that. I don't want to waste the opportunity. I've been positioned to prosper, so I want to live my life in a way to prosper from that position. I want to make much of the much that has been given. I wonder if there would be someone that'd raise their hand and say, yeah, that's me. Would you please hold them up before the Lord? I've got my hand up too. Thank you for your honesty. As we all stand and Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has dealt with your heart, you have opportunity to come right now. I give my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou my ransomed be. several that have come you have opportunity to bow right there in your chair to come to the altar if you want someone to pray with you while brother Nate sings another verse you have opportunity to come my father's house of light my glory circled throne I left for
we'll sing one more verse. your attention this way well to everyone that's here god bless you for being here and to our guests if you are new thank you so much for being a part of our services today it is a delight to have you and we are thankful for you being with us 